Hello, and welcome back to Black Lives Texas. I'm Tracy Lowe. And I'm Ricardo Lowe. Tracy and I are back behind the mic to give y'all a few episodes that provide an inside look at the staff and work of the Institute for Urban Policy Research and Analysis at UT Austin. While we're working on our next series, we wanted to talk to some of the IUPRA staff about what they do as members of the team and to get some insight into why they're committed to their work. They'll also discuss some of the larger work of the Institute and their thoughts on what they hope the future holds for IUPRA. We love hosting this podcast and are so excited to share a bit more about what we do at the Institute with y'all. And we can't wait to see what 2021 brings for this show. So make sure you stick with the feed and we will be back in the new year. Finally, to wrap up our series before we head into 2021, it's time for Tracy and I to share our stories. So we're going to get started. And the first question that I have for you, Ricky, put you on a hot spot, is can you tell me just a little bit about your background, um, where you grew up, research interests, and and all of that good stuff? Yeah, for sure. So um, both of my parents are from Panama. Um, They... We have Caribbean ancestry through Jamaica, um, Grenada, Barbados, and St. Lucia. So uh, both of their parents um, on both sides, they moved to to Panama to work on the Panama Canal. And um, from there, my father and my mother in the 80s immigrated to the United States. And that's where I was born. And so um, I have an older sister and a younger brother. And uh, we've lived all over the, the, the world, really, because my father was in the military. So he did 20 years in the Air Force, and that required us to live abroad in England. We lived in Denver, Colorado. We lived back home in Panama. We ended up settling down in San Antonio, Texas, which is a city where most military personnel in the Air Force got to come through at some point. Um, so I was pretty much raised in San Antonio in the small city of Converse, Um it's like eastward of San Antonio. I uh, went to Judson High School. That's where me, my brother, and my sister all went to. Uh, from there, I got my undergraduate degree at UTSA after graduating from high school. Worked for uh, a couple of small... I, I had a whole bunch of jobs, really. I had too many jobs to list. I ain't going to lie to you. But none of them was working out, so I decided to get my master's degree at Texas State University. From there, I got... Uh, an opportunity to work with the federal government as a statistician for a couple of, well, really for five years. And I got this amazing opportunity to work for IUPRA at UT Austin, um, which was ideal because majority of my work as an academic has always focused on black populations. Um, And in fact, I was pursuing a doctorate degree in applied demography at UTSA when I was uh, given the opportunity to come to IUPRA, which I am about a year or two away from completing I got my comp, so just pray for me and making sure that I get that done. Prayers up. <laughs> Prayers up. I'm going to need it. But, you know, yeah, so, I, you know, from there, you know, we moved to Austin, my wife and my two sons, um, you know, and I kind of forgot to include them in that story. It's kind of messed up. But <laughs> I had my, my first son prior to graduating um, from Texas State University. We had our second son two years afterwards. We lived in San Marcos for a while, but now we live in suburban city of Round Rock, where all the black folks seem to be moving at. <laughs> so um, that's 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 pretty much me in a nutshell. 
So um, I feel like I, that was a whole bunch, but <laughs> just in case um, people wanted to know. Yeah, we want to know all about you, all about the, the man behind the research. <laughs> well, let me let me forward that question back onto you. So can you tell us about your background and how you came to Ayupra? Okay, so and you can do the rap because you know what I'm going to bring up. But I am from Dallas, Texas. Oak Cliff to be exact. Insert Oak Cliff. rep. That's Thank my you. hood. Who I knew you were But I grew up in Oak Cliff, Texas. Um, I have an older brother, and, and I grew up with my older brother and my mom for, for most of my life. Uh, I went to Townview Magnet Center in Dallas, Texas uh, for high school. We didn't have a football team, we didn't have any sports. So I was a band nerd. Uh, and I was a drum major. A lot of people are often surprised to hear that. Uh, I did back bends and everything, but I can't do them now, so don't ask. <laughs> so I um, was originally in like the science and engineering magnet and ended up going to Texas A&M because they have really good, great engineering program. And I was in petroleum engineering and realized that that petroleum engineering was not my life. So I decided that I would much rather uh, take the math and science approach and be able to educate students in math and science because that that's actually what I found out that I really loved. And so I decided to stay in College Station for a master's degree because I had um, one of the administrators in the multicultural center at A&M talk to me and say, hey, you do realize that you're really involved in student orgs and you can do this for a living. I was like, I can work with students for a living? Great. So I ended up in Student Affairs Administration, and I was in the SAHI program at Texas A&M University, which is a phenomenal program. And then after my master's program, they uh, got a job working there um, in the Department of Student Life. So I was there for 10 long years, and I was just itching to get back to Dallas because anybody who knows where College Station is, they might say it's nowhere land, but for me, a college kid who didn't do much of anything, it was fun. But I wanted to come back to Dallas to be by my mom. So I made my way back to Dallas uh, to Plano, where I worked for a nonprofit organization called the Suda Foundation. And they focus on first-generation issues. Um, and it was a program. It was a nationwide program. And really thought I was going to stay there and go to school at UNT and life would be perfect. But UT Austin came and poached me. And I ended up a year later back away from home, and ended up at UT Austin. So I was in the program for higher education leadership at UT Austin, and afterwards decided to apply for the postdoc at IUPRA. And from there, I have been there for two years this September. I love my work there and have been there ever since I graduated. So that's just a little bit about me. Again, like you, I feel like I talk a lot, but maybe it's not as long as we as we think it is. So I know that we about both, seven minutes long. So that's not all of me. That's not even for We was just split it in half on the- <laughs> We'll split it. I'll say you did four minutes and I did three. But uh, <laughs> but we both talked about we both have really like academic careers. Um and so I want to ask you a little bit about what your academic research interests are, because I know that you are um, a demographer and a, an exceptional demographer at that. So I wanted to just talk about um, some of your research, some of the things that you've been interested in uh, over the past years while you were in school, and then also maybe some of the work 
with April? Yeah, you know, I'm very, it's so hard to put all of my research interests into, even to just like categorize it into one thing or to break it up because I'm, I have so many interests to be honest, but I think what's at the root of all of my academic interests is the fact that I'm a Pan-Africanist at, at heart. Um, you know, just the idea that I just love studying black folk and what makes us different. I like to disaggregate blackness and just understand us. Um, and reason being, I grew up in a Caribbean household, as I told you, and Marcus Garvey was on the wall since I was a child, and he still is on, on my wall in, in my very house. And, um, you know, he talks a lot about, you know, the black diaspora. And so I, I really look into the black diaspora in my research. So one, some of the things that I, I like to investigate is the status of Caribbean and African immigrants in the United States. I like to look to see how they are, quote unquote, assimilating into American culture and how they deal with their identities um, once upon arrival. Um, and other things that I like to look at is as a sociologist, as somebody who has dedicated, you know, much of his academic career into uh, understanding institutions and people. I really like to see how structures and, and institutions, um, what role they play in uh, producing outcomes for social groups and individuals. And of course, what I mean is just understanding the different institutions in America and how um, they have a role in contributing to some of the disparities that we see in, in among uh, black populations. And sometimes, you know, delving into that research can be tedious because it's it's a lot of um, I don't want to be pessimistic, but, you know, there's a, we all know that living black in America is is a struggle. I mean, there's a lot of it's a historic struggle and it's a contemporary one. But there's also a beautiful experience that I want to highlight as well. Um, there's a lot of beauty in in, in blackness. And I, I like to look into that. And so I think what's interesting is that as a demographer, I deal a lot with numbers. I deal with quantitative data all the time. Um, but as a sociologist and as somebody who also as a niche for creative writing, I understand that each data point is a story. And so I'll try to bring that story of black lives into my research and try to articulate it to the public. And whether it's the good or the bad, I just want people to understand what it means to be black, the whole black experience in, in America. Um, so I know that's kind of broad, but if I wanted to just boil it down to one point, um, my, my academic interest is black people. And that's unapologetically black people, whether you're black, Hispanic, um, whether you identify as queer and black, uh, you know, black women, um, everything, um, all of it. So um, I also now want to forward that question on to you. What are your research interests? And I know all about your research interests because <laughs> you and I worked so closely together all the time. But let the people know. Let the people know what you what you what you like to research. I mean, I like you. I root for everybody black, uh, <laughs> particularly for me, since I do have that passion for student engagement, student success. Um, I really focus on the higher ed or the the I guess the post secondary experiences and the and the postgraduate experiences of black students um, my own dissertation research focused on uh, the activism of black women in graduate school 
And I, I really do need to publish off of that dissertation um, because it just seems so relevant now with everything that's going on in the activism of students in education or higher education spaces being highlighted more and the demands of black students are being highlighted more. And a lot of people, I feel like, may not necessarily know what to do with <clears throat> a body of students demanding things from them, especially underrepresented students. And so, by again, these are my primary academic research interests, uh, just understanding the Black experience in these spaces and how, uh, particularly in graduate school, Black women, Black individuals, and, and including non-binary individuals, uh, how they're socialized and just experiences with discrimination, racism, microaggressions, and what that looks like. But not only experiences, but focusing with the activism piece on how students address these issues. Because I think it's important to understand, when you understand how students are addressing these issues through their activism, you can find those critical uh, points of intersection to support and to create um, to create support systems for students to be able to engage in, in this activism or this like radicalism or this radical thinking to change the spaces that they're in mm-hmm. uh, without being uh, afraid, without being resistant of them and their demands. And so that's that's kind of what I aim to do in my research. But since shifting over to IUPRA, um, my focus has been on black communities in Texas, but I have a particular affinity for for black women because of my own personal experiences. And so, as you said, we do a lot of work together. And uh, a lot of the work that we do together focuses on Black women. And I think that's because that narrative is often untold. Um, And this is not at all to say that Black women and, and other allies are not out there doing the work and telling the story. But I feel like the story could be highlighted even more significantly in whatever and however I can contribute to that. I, I like to do that. So when I'm particularly in the IUPRA space, I always have that lens and question of well, what are we talking about in terms of black women? How is this affecting the black women population um, in Texas? So those are just, that's just a little generic highlight of my research interests um, in terms of academic and uh, also IUPRA based. So we talked about all of this stuff, but we really haven't talked about what we do at IUPRA. So, our roles at IUPRA, I'm pretty sure we may have said something along, along these lines in the first podcast, but can you tell us what you do for IUPRA? Like, what do you contribute to the team? Because it's great, and you're famous, and you got op-eds out there and everything, so oh, oh, tell us no. about what your 9 to 5 is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, you know, um, so I am, a, I am a research associate, that's my official title, and I do a lot of um, I, I like to, so I pull a lot of numbers and I pull a lot of numbers, you know, for my colleagues, um, when we are looking to address a particular issue at hand and we need to investigate what that looks like numerically. Um, and sometimes if we have to produce quantitative models to interpret something or, you know, to get some type of inference about what something might look like under certain circumstances, um, that's what I do. So, um, I do a lot of quantitative research. I do a lot of research in general. Um, and I think one of the biggest things about my role um, that I'm very grateful for is the ability to 
work with community members, to be in spaces where, um, you know, people, you know, people are in community. Like, you know, people are struggling to make institutions listen to them. And, you know, um, I think one of the biggest things that we all do is, is trying to make sure that we amplify those voices and we see how that relates to some of the policy work that we do. And I, I take that very seriously. Um, I don't want the work that I do um, or that we do in general to just be something that is put in the before the faces of people who make decisions, but also want people who live in these communities who are affected by those decisions to have a say in uh, what is going on. And so we look for best practices that we've seen in the research. We ask those questions to community members. We put it all together and we try to articulate those experiences the best way we can so that we can really affect change through a participatory action approach. Um, and that's pretty much what I do. I, I, whatever I can to, to make sure all those things intertwine to, to produce a result, uh, I'm willing to do that. And on occasion, sometimes that takes briefs, sometimes that's op-eds. You know, that's what we do. So what's your um, latest project? that you're working on now or have worked on in the past? Yeah, right now I'm working on... So right now, we're working on a couple of things. I'm working on a book chapter as it relates to policing in black communities. Um, and just got started with that. I'm very excited about that, especially with all of the things happening um, right now, which have been happening for a long time. But I guess the exposure, I think it's important. I have a lot of responsibility to make sure that I articulate this chapter in a way that people are really understanding about this moment in time. Um, I'm also working with you, <laughs> working with Tracy as it relates to black women. We've done a lot of work with black women in the essential workforce. Uh, we will be we will be doing more work as it relates to black women um, in incarcerated is, is one thing that we're looking at, um, you know, black women in the criminal justice system. I think during this time, we see that a lot of the attention within the criminal justice system is always focused on black men. We don't have a lot of attention on black women or a lot of understanding about black women. And so we can never, you know, negate the fact that Breonna Taylor was killed you know, um, unjustly through a no-knock warrant and justice has not been served for her or her family. These are things that are happening to black women and I don't know if we have a lot of research that is willing to, you know, talk about those experiences enough. And so those are some of the things that we're looking at as it relates to black women within the criminal justice system. And, um, yeah, and so we're doing a lot of different things. Uh, we're just trying to make sure that we talk about the black experience across a lot of different, you know, um, issues affecting our communities when it comes to housing, education, criminal justice, health. Um, and so that's, that's my role. And I would ask you, you know, this, that same question It's like, um, you know, what are some of the things that you are doing at your particular job? Um, so that everybody has an understanding what it is that Tracy Lowe be doing. <laughs> what Tracy Lowe do? <laughs> Well, um, so I'm the assistant director of assessment uh, and postdoc uh, at the same time. So when I first came on at IUPRA, I wanted to be involved in grant work uh, because I find that that's a skill. Sometimes when you're going through the PhD program, nobody really talks about how to get the grants, the whole process, 
all of, all of the all of those things. So that was a goal for me was to be able to understand the grant process and how to get money because at the end of the day, that's what makes the world turn. So I asked to be involved with the Georgetown Health Foundation uh, follow-up needs assessment um, that's on our website if, any, if anyone wants more information. But from that project, I, um, I learned a lot about needs assessments and how that process of assessment and evaluation works. And assessment has always been my thing, even, even in undergrad and, and prior to this job, I've had an affinity for assessing things. I want to know if they're working um, and, and the impact that programs or initiatives or whatever the, the, the I guess, prescription is, has on communities or bodies of people. So with the, in the assessment role, I've, I've been, again, the lead of a lot of assessments. I also do the policy briefs and publications and work with, with you, Ricky, um, in terms of, of, of making sure that the research that we're doing is clear and that it's accurate and that it will influence legislators as they go to, to on this legislative hill in Austin to make policies that are going to affect black people. Uh, so that is, that is kind of the zone that I work in, in terms of making sure that whatever the assessments or the evaluations are the larger community projects that we're doing, that those, um, those reflect, the, the, the work that's needed in the black community. Um, of course we do podcasts. So if you're oh, just yeah. tuning into this, to this mini series, make sure you check out the, the, the three episodes before this, cause they're great. Uh, and we have some really awesome people that, that work on those. So yeah. So just a lot of assessment and evaluation, working on research, um, and again, IUPRA is very team oriented, so we kind of dibble and dabble in everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's those are some of the specifics of my role with IUPRA and projects. Again, you said we work at, we're working on the Black Women in the Criminal Justice System project, but I'm also working on book chapters um, for. Uh, an, up, an upcoming publication by our executive director who will be editing that, that particular series. And I'm working on the housing chapter and education chapter and trying to get my life together <laughs> and figuring <laughs> out and finding all of this information. But understanding how housing discrimination uh, has operated in America and what that uh, and anti, what anti-blackness has meant for home ownership and the inability of black people to obtain wealth through home ownership and what federal policies and government policies and things like redlining has done to black people and black communities and how that's created segregation that has ultimately influenced education. And so how all of these factors have kind of worked together to systematically marginalize and oppress black people. So that's the latest, the latest flavor of the month. Uh, but in the future, <laughs> in the future, in your ear. In your ear. Uh, hip hop, yeah, that'll make me watch Brown Sugar tonight. Uh, but uh, upcoming, we do have like a COVID nineteen needs assessment that's operating at a more national level with the Association of Black Psychologists that Dr. Copley is part of, and I'll be spearheading that initiative to make sure that that research is done for. Um, I think it's the south, southeast regions of the nation. So that, that'll be interesting. All right. So we've talked a little bit about our roles. And you kind of hit on this. So if there's anything you want to add 
But what what brought you to this work or this this field that we're in? Because again, you're really in the sociology and demography. But what was kind of the turning point that brought you to this particular field? Yo, that's such an interesting question because I started off in undergrad um, as a creative writer. I was an English major, which is so far from demography. It's not even funny. Um, but um, yeah, I went on a fellowship to New York um, in undergrad and um, Dr. Brooks was her name. She, she, I never saw myself as much of an academic. I had other things in mind. I wasn't really focused so much on schooling, to be honest with you. I was just playing ball at the rec all the time. But for some reason, she saw something in me um, to send me on this fellowship to New York. Um, that changed my life and, you know, in ways that I never really realized until I started reflecting on this maybe a couple years ago. But, you know, um, she as a black woman saw something in me that um, that she just, you know, put me on that track. And that fellowship in New York, I was able to, to see a city that I've always kind of been infatuated with in the music and in movies. Um, it was just so powerful. And upon returning, um, I wanted to articulate those experiences that I've seen, not only creatively, but I wanted to understand a little bit more about New York and all of the things that I've seen in Brooklyn and Harlem. And I found myself on track to being a sociologist. Um, so uh, I don't know exactly how that connection really happened besides the fact that I just wanted to learn more about New York and just study these, you know, these spaces. Um, there were a lot of people in New York who looked just like me, of course, who were black, but then they had the same type of ethnicity. They were black Panamanian or black Caribbean and they were all living together in Harlem, and I thought it was so dope. And so that's how I got came into sociology, and um, I completed my undergrad in sociology. And then um, this is another honest part here that doesn't sound too good. As <laughs> um, it doesn't sound as 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 good as what I just said there, but I found that a sociology degree, at least for me, um, was not necessarily profitable in the job market, and. Um, and I, what reason why I say I, I don't really like to admit this is because it makes it seem as if I came into the field of statistics solely for the money. Um, mm -hmm. but at that time, that was what, that was what I, exactly what I was doing. To be honest, I came in to social statistics and demography as a graduate student at Texas state, just so I can get a good job because it was, mm -hmm. it was a struggle for me to get into the job market. You know, we're talking about three or some odd years after the great recession and I just could not find a job for anything. And it was really stressful. It was a really dark period. And so, um, I took as many stats classes as I can. Someone who's always been told that he's not good at math was taking all these statistic courses and forcing myself to be in a position where I can, you know, get away with that <laughs> and I did you know I, I applied myself um and through doing that um I was able to secure exactly what I wanted a good job for the federal government as a statistician and that's when I started to uh get a little bit more humility and recognize that that's not ex it wasn't really about the money I mean I had all these great skills and I wanted to put two and two together the two I wanted to put together was taking those social statistics skills that I learned 
and combining it with what put me in sociology in the first place, which is studying black people. And that was what brought me into applied demography. So now I'm pursuing a field in which I take the left side of my brain, my right side of the brain and just put it all together and I'm doing something that I want to do. And that's where the passion came from. And that's how I ended up uh, in Iupa doing um, as a demographer. And I think it's great. Um, I think it's, it's, it's been a really great experience for me thus far and a great opportunity for me to use both sides of my brain to articulate um, everything that you know, I'm going through and at the same time, just understand these populations that I'm so interested in. So, um, and of course that's long winded. So, um, but that's, that's, that's my little story. Um, but I would like to know, (laughs) but it's the truth. It's the truth. And shout out to Dr. Brooks. You know, uh, Dr. Brooks was, is a black feminist scholar from UTSA. She checked me when I was saying a lot of, um, you know, you know, stuff that a lot of cis hetero men like myself would say back then. And she checked me, put me in check and, you know, put me on a track to understanding what it means to, to be black across, you know, not just be a black man, but to be, to understanding and be empathetic to, to, to everything about blackness. And so, um, she is what saw that in me. And so, um, I'm really appreciative for her for that. So shout out to Dr. Kenitra Brooks. Um, so I, I would ask you the same thing though. I would like to know, um, you know, what, what pulled you into your interest? And I, I'm always fascinated by what you do and your trajectory as well, you know? And so I would like for you to, to talk about that. I can't follow up like that heartfelt story that you just did. I'm about to make, oh, you, tr- you crying? No. Tear co- <laughs> you hey, tear girl. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. She's not crying, though. I have tears. They're scrolling right now. I would have to say, if I think about it, I was probably always on the path of of education in some 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 aspect. Um, I used to watch my mom a lot. I was real nosy as a kid. She she will tell you. I was always in her business, trying to figure out what's going on. She said that's how I got potty trained because I was trying to figure out what the other kids were doing that she was taking care of. Oh. <laughs> So she, um, I just remember I used to hang around her a lot and she would always be watching PBS shows, PBS specials, reading books, um, watching the news, just always, always seeking ways to get information, um, so when I ended up in 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 in, PA, in like my PhD program, I think I had this realization. I was like, "So you do realize that you've been telling me everything that I'm learning in my classroom, um, but they're just putting the formal academic title to it." So I told her I was like, "You were basically giving me my degree before I I even knew I would end up going down this route." Mm-hmm. So, um, I think in in terms of it was just I didn't I didn't I was when I went into school I didn't I wasn't thinking about getting a PhD that wasn't in the works for me or anything like that I went I didn't know anything about college so when I got to the first day at A&M uh I had 
dropped a class and I didn't realize the effect that it was going to have in terms of my scholarship will automatically drop off and, and everything was just kind of in disarray but luckily she was still there so we she had gone to a little conference session and, and we were able to fix what was happening because of the people but coming into college not knowing anything as a black student at Texas A&M predominantly white campus I think that's for me kind of was has always sparked um my interest in telling the story of black students in predominantly white institutions because of what I didn't know and what I want other people to be able to know and to be able to accomplish. So when I was working in student organizations that were predominantly black and they were making all of this impact and, and one of the, the people that was working in the, DM, the the Department of Multicultural Services came and talked to me. She was like, you can do this as a career. And I was like, oh, for real? Like, cool. Like, I can do this. So she told me to talk to the chair of the, the, the master's program. And me, I'm like, little black girl, like, first of all, I don't know what a chair is. I don't, I don't understand what the chair or the head of the department is. So I'm just going into the office, walking in. Like, I'm just going to talk to this regular lady. Like, I'm nervous, but not understanding the magnitude of what I'm doing because I'm a first-generation student. I don't know this stuff. Mm. And so I was able to talk to her. And I got into the program. And I remember after I got into the program, she was like, I knew, like, Tom, you still fit into this office, that you were, were going to make it into this program and that you were going to be, like, a great student affairs administrator. So in that program, ever since then, I've kind of been on this quest of how do I make um, known this experience? And I'm just going to say it just for black students. How do I make known what the experience for black students is in higher education? Because there's a lot of things that we don't know, um, but there are also a lot. There's also a lot of joy that, that happens in the process. There's also a lot of brilliance. Um, there's so many positive, good and bad that happens in this sphere, and particularly when I went into my PhD program, <laughs> I felt like the only, and I was the only for a lot of times, um, and talking to my black women colleagues I found out that this isn't this isn't like uncommon and ever since then it's been a quest of how do I talk about what this experience is like as a black woman in graduate or professional space or or for international people postgraduate spaces um what that looks like how we advocate for ourselves and since working in that Uber, that agenda black woman agenda and non-binary has kind of translated into the work that I do for um, for IUPRA. And so I'd say, to put it short, and I'm long-winded too, a lot of my experiences or a lot of the reason I do what I do is because of my personal experiences. Like, it's because of things that have happened to me. It's because of what I've seen my mom go through. It's because of what I've seen all my aunts go through and how they've supported me and how... They have been educated and they have always pushed education on us. And so education is kind of like the core of my family. And so I just, that's kind of just brought me from path to path. It's, I'm a real practical person. So experiences, narratives, personal stories and connections, practicality is what draws me to whatever work I do. So that, that's really how I got into everything I do. There always has to be a personal connection. And I was long-winded too. So, well, no. That's, let me ask you this: um, 
So you, you do a lot of work in higher education. You talk about your experiences going to Texas A&M and UT, which were PWIs. Um, have you ever thought about what your trajectory would have looked like if you would have went to an HBCU? Uh, I'd probably be super brilliant and famous by now. <laughs> I, I, I've always wondered. I used to be. I used. I used to wonder like what I feel like. A. I feel like I definitely would have a lot more confidence. I feel like I would have a lot more of that currency and capacity to navigate these predominantly white career spaces. Um, even though Iupra isn't, but to navigate like the outside world with more confidence and assuredness in. In what I do, because at PWIs, you don't get that. I feel like there's the element of support that you don't get. There's not the nourishment of your confidence, the nourishment of your identity. And I feel like that, that confidence piece, like, it's so powerful. And I can see it in all the people who graduate from HBCUs. It's just like there's a different light bulb that's on. Like, they come out with this. You know, even even though they face some of the same microaggressions and different things like like than we do, I feel like there's just like, well, I got my homies, I got my my crew back here that will tell you, and that have told me constantly that I'm the greatest. Whereas me, like I had my crew, my like minuscule crew at PWIs, but there's not this automatic backing and automatic acceptance of your identity. Um, so I feel like, I don't know if my trajectory would have been any different, but I definitely feel like the, the, the feel and the experiences and the way I navigate and move in terms of confidence could have been different. But this is just me assuming uh, and from watching a different world like all the time, what that would look like. <laughs> That's all I, I've always, I think about that a lot, which is one of the reasons why, you know, one of the things that I do uh, when I can, I'm heavy with work this year but you know as a, I, i'm an adjunct professor for houston tillerson and it's amazing everything, don't you, you know, do well you, you know <laughs> i did it i did it last year i haven't done it this year but you know it's a great it, that itself is a great experience to be a part of an institution that is an hbcu um and you know i just think about my experiences in pwis um like i said dr kenitra brooks was a great a mentor to me as an undergrad and then graduate career um dr Alwyn anderson who was a black man he was a black sociologist he has been so pertinent and so important for my development and you know now it's it's dr coakley and you know dr green and you know dr irizari um all black great black professors and scholars and dr wright and yourself dr Lowe, like all oh, y'all coming together and putting me on this path so that i can you know live out these dreams and i wonder you know how if i would have went to like clark atlanta or morehouse or mm-hmm. howard university how much sooner i would have came because that having black social support is so important mm-hmm. and you know without any of the people that i've mentioned i of course, my father and my mother always had my back, and, and mm-hmm. my siblings always had my back, and my sister was a trailblazer. I, I, I see my sister do all these things. I see my father do all these things, my mom and uh, my brother. Uh, but it's also good to get that social support outside of the house, you know, To and I just wonder how that would look like at these HBCUs and stuff like that. So, shout out to HBCUs. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if I felt like getting another degree, I, I'd go, but... 
I'm not trying to live that life right now. Oh yeah, right. I'm done. <laughs> yeah, done. Okay, so last question to kind of wrap things up. Uh, and this, this is this is a question that I just wanted everybody to answer because I'm just curious. But in terms of the institute, what would you hope for the institute in the future? Like a vision for the institute uh, in terms of reach, capacity, work. Whatever you envision or hope for the Institute, we can talk about it right now. Yeah, you know, uh, there's a lot of great institutes out there. And I feel like Ayupra is on the path to be in that, you know, in that tier. So, you know, I look at places like Brookings and I look at Rand Institute. Like, I look at all these spaces and I feel like Ayupra, we do great work. And I am longing for the day that we are recognized as a national leader in, you know, black policy making. I mean, not policy making, but policy research, I should say. Um, and we we do a lot of work with. I guess if that's that's a huge goal to jump to. Um, I think right now I would like to, I would like for us to create um, more conversations with black populations across the state of Texas. Um, I want us to be in Houston and Dallas and, you know, to go to these areas and develop relationships and develop relationships with communities and stakeholders in these spaces and so that we can bring it back to our policy research and we can really have an effect on statewide uh, legislation as it relates to some of the uh, things that black people are going through throughout the state. I think that we have a I think we're, we're pretty known in Austin, of course, that's where we're based, but I would like that notoriety to expand in other spaces. Um, and once we have Texas on lock, it's time to, to get the whole nation, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, um, but yeah, I think those are steps that we're working towards. I think that we're doing a lot of great work and I'm, I just can't wait for the day that we can have an impact um, on every city where you can see you know, where we're at, black folk. But um, yeah, I'll, I'll ask you that question. So, what, what visions do you see for IU? It's it's actually the same, and I really I'm a proponent of of getting and ex, of expanding the reach of IUPRA, um in Texas because I think there's so many so many partnerships and ways that we can influence the lives of of communities in Texas with our research and our work, and because we're right right like 511 steps from the capital. Um, mm-hmm. And how once we have those connections that we can so powerfully serve black communities in rural areas, in metropolitan areas. Um, and I just, in terms of the vision for our UPRA and the work, I feel like we we can, we can easily go beyond research just through the grants that we pick up um, and being able to create those partnerships nationally like you say with different institutes and 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 just I don't know it's just dreaming super 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 big um and then I like you said becoming like this national institute that 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 moves beyond Texas and moves to to nationwide work but we, we gotta we gotta start off we gotta start off in our own backyard and and figure this out and I believe that we're on a really good path to doing that. So, mm-hmm. well, I had fun interviewing you. I learned a lot about you. You made me cry. You made me laugh. That That is uh. phenomenal. And that's great. 
Uh, and it was really fun getting to talk to you. And what we're hoping for listeners is that you all will just, again, through this series, get, just get to know us and get to understand us um, and our work. And maybe, and hopefully, that'll that'll help you draw um, a connection to the work and understand why we do what we do. So we're going to sign off. Thank you again to everyone at IUPRA who has helped us with this podcast project and for all the work they do at the Institute. So if you are enjoying the podcast, please share with your friend. Word of mouth is still the number one way people will find out about new podcasts. You can also reach out to us at Podcast at gmail.com or engage with IUPRA on social media. Links are all provided in the show notes. Until next time. Hasta la próxima semana. Bye-bye.